1: If you want to listen to the songs we discuss in this podcast, follow us on our socials, find out about special live events, or buy that merch, a.k.a. that hat I always wear, go to our website, www.andtheriteris.com. For a little bit of context, we just wanted you to know that a lot of these were recorded before quarantine. And as we know, a lot has changed in 2020. So again, please stay safe out there. And enjoy the new episodes of And The Writer Is. Welcome to And The Writer Is. I am your host, Ross Golan. Today's modern songwriter legend isn't just a top liner forward slash producer, but a song innovator and nurturer of unique talent spanning all of the genres. R&B, pop, soul, you name it. His records rarely stay inside the box. And since he notoriously hustled his first major production to Nicki Minaj through MySpace over a decade ago, he has become a staple in the music industry. With multi-platinum smashes, Grammy nominations, and a BMI Pop Song of the Year win under his belt, he is still making some of today's freshest songs without chasing trends. All the way from Philly, this guy literally has music in his genes. And the writer is... Andrew, Pop, Wanzel.
0: Ooh, what an introduction, bro! Wow.
1: Yeah, I feel like the only we've we've met a few times in like uh, in I think it was like Benny's Kitchen yep. or something yeah. like
0: that. <laughs> that's exactly where. Um, that's a great place to meet too. That's been all of our I think interactions. Do
1: you you're you're uh, you're like a real chef? Like you love cooking.
0: I love to cook. I cook a lot. I might love it a little more than what we have to talk about today. Is that right? <laughs> Not for real. Do like, you really, I, I, bro? I I the, what you just said, even like the whole MySpace thing was me. I met Nikki on MySpace, trying to sell beats to rappers to get money for culinary school. Whoa! Yeah, man. Did you? Going to culinary school? I didn't. I hadn't got a number one song. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so crazy. What kind of? Uh, <laughs> I, I can't imagine there are five people who can say that on the planet. Um, <laughs> what kind of food do you like to cook?
0: You know, I like to cook everything. Uh, what am I known for cooking? I'm known for cooking comfort food and soul food. Um, everybody loves the mac and cheese, and everybody loves the damn the the gumbo and the fried chicken. and the, the okra and the collard greens and stuff like that.
1: How did you get into that?
0: How I got into cooking, honestly, man, I feel like my mom was one of the best cooks, like, in my life. And um, she got injured when I was real young and shit. Like, she got injured and uh, I had to learn. And even though I got eight siblings, I was the only one that kind of, like, cared to learn or wanted to learn for that matter. Um, And... By the time I was sixteen, I was doing like thanksgiving by myself Crazy. Damn there yeah man yeah, well,
1: I mean while you're on while we're on the fact that you had wait how many siblings you had eight other siblings the, or
0: eight siblings I'm the youngest of eight my mother has eight children I'm the youngest of eight kids, yeah man and my dad has i mean if people
1: how do people not realize that women are superheroes when they can actually create like eight <sighs> humans?
0: Man, I don't know, and that's why I I am and anything women empower men. Anything I'm I'm here for it. I'm, I'm an advocate. I love women because of women like my mother. It's a real thing, man. Absolutely.
1: So let's talk about your childhood. You grew up in in Philly.
0: I grew up in Philly. I grew- why? Yeah.
1: I was just gonna say, why is why why are all the great musicians from Philly? What is it in Philly
0: that makes great music? It's the cheesesteaks, bro. <laughs> it's the cheesesteaks. you know, it's just a, I don't I don't know, man. It's just, it's just a vibe in Philadelphia. It's so uh, it's so raw. It's so real, and there's there's no nobody in Philly. I feel like ever abided by the book. Of any in any facet, you know what I'm saying? Like, there's no we really live by. There's no right or wrong way to do it, especially in music. Um, I think, and I think that has a lot to do with it, man. There's no, it's really no method to the madness.
1: What is your, you know? I, I envision um, eight children. Either you guys are all trying to make music together, or you guys don't want to be in the same room with each other. I can't tell what it's like to have. You know, seven siblings with you. I just don't know how you guys how do, how do you end up like? Tell me about your childhood. That's such a unique number of humans in one
0: under one roof. Bro, you know what's so crazy. I'm the only musician. How's that? <laughs> well, what, what what kind of
1: music? I mean, oh, your your dad's a professional yes. musician. Yes, so, and he he's like he's a you know. Yeah. He's an icon of yeah, in that world. Yeah, so, he
0: is. He a legend. You describe,
1: describe your parents describe like how you got into Man. music as a kid.
0: So my dad is a songwriter and producer. To this day, you know, um but his heyday was the 70s and the 80s where he had a string of hits and uh I grew up with a a, a crazy ass like record collection in my house. And um it was always interesting to me. And it was always, you know, little boys is always up under their dad. I was always up under my dad and watching what he was doing. He was always making music. He was always sitting at the keyboard. Or, you know, I was with him at the studio or, you know. But on top of that, on top of my dad making music, on top of the records in the basement, I have seven other siblings in the house with me. And they all are listening to something totally different. I got a brother that's listening to Ice Cube. I got another brother that's listening to uh, 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 to AZ and Nas. And then I got a sister who's listening to Gospel. And I got another sister who's listening to Mary J. Blige. And then I got another sister who's listening to Dance Hall. And then I got another sister who's listening to, like, super, like, youthful, rhythmic, what's in at the moment. Um, And that's just was my house. And I had all of this music around me, man.
1: Did you... Start making music, you know, with your dad in the studio. Is that when you first started making music? When did you think
0: you could yeah. actually do that? You know what? I always loved music, and every kid goes through a Michael Jackson phase, right? I think that's just the thing. Like I had a Michael Jackson phase where, like, I he was, I never seen nothing like it. This is the greatest entertainer ever. And uh thriller albums, like you know, one of my favorite albums of all time. And human nature being one of my favorite songs. And um Nas, watching TV with my brothers, Nas, It Ain't Hard to Tell video comes on. And I'm listening to it and I'm like, I'm young, I'm five years old, right? But I'm like, this is human nature. He's rapping to human nature. And I didn't know I had. I was like, "What is this?" And my dad was like, "Oh, he sampled it." And and I think from that day when my dad explained sampling to me and showed me uh, what a sample was and how to sample, that was it, bro. I was like, "Oh, this is this is it. This is what I'm doing." That was it. And that's why to the, you know I'm a very sample based producer because of that. Like that's my origin.
1: So would you go into a studio at five years? I mean.
0: I started going in the into way. the studio. At, at, I started going into the studio at five, six years old. My dad pulling up a little drum kit for me on his digital performer. He had the Apple computer that was like this fucking big and <laughs> a MIDI controller, and I started making like started making kick and snare loops. Like, and then by the time I was nine, I did that for three years. I went to the studio whenever I could. I, by the time I was nine, I was good. From time I was nine, I was legit good at making beats. I was good enough to sell them. That's crazy, yeah
1: that's hard to fathom because you know, obviously, for so many reasons, but when you're in fourth grade right. you know, how are you creating that kind of music? I mean, were you writing lyrics and melodies at that point I was at always all?
0: I was always rapping I was always rapping.
1: Um, so at nine you were
0: already rapping. I was rapping, bro. Like my first album, the first album I ever had, the first two albums I ever bought was uh, Big Ready to Die and Junior Mafia um, Day album. So I like I was rapping. I was rapping early.
1: I mean that's so so nuts. Do you remember your first song?
0: The first rap that I wrote, personally, no yeah. I I don't remember the first rap that I wrote. I I did it so much. I did it so much. And I would rap about anything. It was just my goal was to try to rhyme as much as possible, like keep the same rhyme scheme going for as long as I could. Like so if the world. I mean, that's really good. That's still good advice. It's still good <laughs> advice, you know. But but not so much anymore. Like you don't have to rhyme as. But I was like, cause listening to Nas and listening to A. Z. and listening to Big, I was like, wow, they can just think of so many words that rhyme with one word. That was really fascinating to me. So I would just like challenge myself to rhyme as much as possible without going to the thesaurus without going to the dictionary. But then, you know, at nine, I'm saying words that don't even exist too. So then I had to start going to the dictionary and start going to the thesaurus. I studied those too.
1: Were you bringing this music to school? Oh yeah. I mean, like, do people? I would were, go to, were your people excited to hear the next? You know,
0: they loved it because I, I would go, I, I would go to the studio every Friday. And whatever beats I made and shit, we would put it to a cassette tape. And I would always take the cassette tape to school Monday with my Walkman and put in my beats for people. You froze. Do you hear me?
1: Sorry, I froze. For people, can you hear me? Am I, I back? You now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go, yeah, oh, cool, cool. I was just testing to see if you were, you guys are all going to stay on for when I came back. Um, nothing like uh, 2020 interviews over the internet. Are you in LA right now?
0: I'm in LA right now. y'all. I'm Man. here. Unfortunately.
1: Okay, so let's go back. So you you're playing songs for your your friends and and it is like elementary school. I mean, is elementary did you want to yeah. Did you want to be a rapper? Like did you obviously you did on some level, but did, were you thinking it's only because you're you know, when you have a father who's working in the business, then you actually know the difference between producing and being an artist. You know, I yeah. feel like most people are you know, not don't have that knowledge i mean did you think you were going to be a producer or a rapper or was it just let's make music that's
0: cool you know what it was it was basically just to make music i knew producing was in the cards i had a phase of i had phases i say of wanting to actually be the artist it was more so people wanted me to be the artist um i don't like that type of attention you know, if, if you and one thing you you even with our limited uh, interactions, one thing you know about me is that I'm super low key. Right. Just like I'm I'm super I'm super low key. I'm super under the radar. I've been like that my whole life. So I always I found more satisfaction in, in making music. The idea of it being for other people. I
1: mean, I. I can imagine what, again with seeing somebody in the industry would either make you want to do it or make you not want to do it. You know, did it? Did that have any effect? Just watching your dad's career did that change how you thought of your own? You know, your own performance yeah. of things.
0: You know, of of course, I, I had the I had the privilege to hear. You know how we all hear horror stories, right? I was hearing my stories from fucking Teddy Pendergrass. You know? Huh. And, and, and and Billy Paul and Lou Ross. Like these were the men that I was around my ch- my whole childhood with my father. These are my father's best friends. And these are the guys that I'm getting music business stories from. These are the guys I'm getting music, music business advice from. These is the OGs, you feel me? So um the horror stories I heard were horror stories. It wasn't. Oh, he, I got fucked in publishing, and I was supposed to get five percent more. It wasn't none of that. It was real. It was real horror. You feel me? So, like, um, I like think I did build the wall, and I was apprehensive about being an artist.
1: You know? Yeah. Oh, I'm sure. What were some of those stories? Do you remember any?
0: Oh my God, man. I mean, from from just from the drugs, the real deal drugs, to kidnapping, and to murders, and to to uh all type of like yeah like those type of stories you know that i probably shouldn't get into too much detail but um those are the type of stories that i that i got um 70s and the 80s was different you know we way, way real, real yeah. different we're real different, real different so i felt like damn like maybe i should stick to this like producing <laughs> yeah
1: right um were you producing out of you know uh was it in North Philly? Like, were you were you producing? The only time I ever worked in Philly was at Dre and Vidal Studio. That was Damn. like, <laughs> and that's like the only experience I ever had working in a studio in Philly. So I just envision all of the studios to be Dre and Vidal Studio. It's all at Dre that time. And
0: studio. Nah. Um. Yeah. So yeah, like growing up, I, my dad built a studio in the crib. Like, I had a studio in the basement. Um, yeah. And it wasn't no, honestly, it wasn't no bullshit like basement studio. He built a booth, an isolated booth. And it was, we had two production rooms and, uh, the house that I lived in before we moved in, the basement was built out. It used to be a dentist's office. So it was finished. And it was, you know what I'm saying? Like it was separated rooms and it was, uh, we built a studio in the basement and, um, I, I made my music there. When I got a little older, fast forward, when I get a little older, by middle school, 12, 13, 14, I am now starting to go to, you know, uh, 7th and, and um, Willow, 7th and Hill, Philadelphia, which everybody knows, that's Larry Gold's uh, studio, Notorious Studio, which now is called Milk Boy. I did start going to Drain dolls, and I, I did start going to, um, home cooking studios which was Mama Boy uh, Carvin and Ivan also Legends um, and I would just sit around you know what I'm saying I would sit around and hope that one of the roots whether it was Tariq or, or, or Dice Raw would ask me to come in and play beats or pick one of my beats or you know that just kind of was it me everybody knew I was Dexter's little boy and, and Larry Gold looked after me and protected me and and they would just kind of just let me sit in the lobby until somebody had free time to listen to my beats. And uh, some things, they would be like, I would go in and play beats. They be like, oh shit, like I don't know if they were they you know probably had lower expectations. I'm a kid, I'm you know sixth, seventh grade, eighth grade, and um yeah. I, and then I started going down there more, and they would take me. They started taking me more serious, and I was you know I started making music down there as well. When was the
1: moment that it crossed over to you know playing people? beats to oh this is real i'm not actually like when when's your first release when's the first time somebody cuts a record in a in a studio
0: um the first time somebody cut a song in a studio was i mean i was I was a kid i was 14 like the roots would rap to my beat sometimes you know um wow. and there were other acts in philadelphia um, that were starting to, to to blow up and blossom. You know the the state property guys, the P D Cracks and the Chris and Eve and Freeway. Um, it was like a whole thing. It was just a whole. My first real release, though, with my name on it, I didn't have until I was um, 19 years old in 2008. That was the first song that I like got paid for. That like a, a label cut me a check for. What but was I that also song? I also had stopped making music from fifteen to eighteen. Why? Um I I so so by the time I'm fourteen, it was like I was kinda like people knew about me, Clive Davis knew about me and Puff knew about me, and um people were very interested in me, uh Rough Riders. And um it was a lot. And I just felt like I was, I'm very interested, man. Like, here's my dream. It's in front of me. And I just decided, no, I just want to go outside. I want to, I want to be in the streets. You know, I want to be with the homies and I don't want to miss none of that. I don't want to miss no real life. I, I don't know why that was my thought process at 14, but it was. Uh, I'm glad, you know, because I, I probably would have been in some bullshit, a, a bullshit situation. But, um, yeah. So fast forward, I started making music again after, you know, the streets is not, it was a lot. And um, I decided I, I wanted relief from that. And I got back into the music. And um, Was that
1: a hard transition to go back into it? Or was it, Um, you
0: know? It wasn't hard. It was just, uh, it wasn't hard. It wasn't hard because I had a goal, which was, I wanna to go to culinary school. I dropped out of high school and, you know, go to culinary school, you need, you know, one of two things, you need the education or you need the, the money. I didn't have the education. I didn't have a high school diploma. I didn't have no scholarship, no, you know, no, no grant or no cool shit like that. So I needed my own bread and, I started making the beats again because everybody in Philly raps and everybody in Philly sells drugs. so Everybody in Philly has the money to buy beats. Um, and I would sell beats, you know, $250, depending on the person, sell a beat for 500 bucks. Uh, and I was just kind of just like, you know, stacking my bread. And I met uh, a Philadelphia a legend, you know, Donnie Meadows, who took me under the wing and believed in me at that point from day one and he introduced me. The first thing he did was introduce me to Oak
1: hmm.
0: um, who became my my brother and my mentor and taught me everything. And Oak introduced me to Sterling Sims uh, who was an artist signed at to Def Jam at that time and that was my first cut. That was my first cut. On, um, from a label, On my first cut on the label. Well,
1: in this segment of what would Oak ask Pop on "And the Writer Is," Oak asks a couple questions. So first, he asks, "Who makes the best mac and cheese?"
0: Mm-hmm. I, out of himself or myself.
1: I mean, this is what these are his questions. I, I'm I'm just reading them. I'm sure. I'm just reading them verbatim, man. All right. All right. Who makes the best mac and cheese? Me. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I mean he said, he said, where was your favorite studio to work with? Oak.
0: There's a studio on Philly. It doesn't have a name, but the address is thirty eight Jackson Street. And I have the most memories in that studio. Why? Bro, we just had fun. I mean, that was really, that, that was the, there was no, there were no inhibitions, there were no, uh, there was no agenda, there was no, we didn't give a damn about anybody's memo, you know what I'm saying, or brief. We just went in and literally did whatever the hell we wanted to do, bro. And um, it was very carefree and us being that carefree was very fruitful and we, No, it 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 did a lot for us. We had fun. We had fun. We just didn't put a time on anything. We would start early. We would break out. We would go to dinner. Go to lunch. Stop. Go to the strip club. Go to the uh, the, the, to the movies. Go to you know whatever. Like we just there was no I don't know the word that I'm looking for, but it was just it was very it was very free. It was very free time.
1: He also asked. He he had a few, so just bear with us here. He said, uh, "Is the worst song you ever did by yourself better or worse than the worst song you ever did with Oak?"
0: The worst song. He said. (laughs) What did he say?
1: He said, "You know." He said, "He knows the song that shall not be named." It shall not be named. (laughs) But
0: the worst song I ever made in my life, I absolutely made with Oak. (laughs) <laughs> Ever. You it's the say worst it's... song of all time, dog. No way. What is this song? I will never tell you what the song is called, and you'll never hear it. Bro, we made this song, it's three in the morning, and we're going, everybody in the studio going crazy, right? The next day, we came off from the studio, I'm like, oh, pull it up. He pulled the, he pulled the song up and we played it, and it went off, and we just sat there in silence. And just kind of looked at him and was like, "Bro, can nobody ever hear this song? <laughs> this is the worst song we've ever made, and we never opened the session again."
1: They, I feel like it's so important for us all to have a couple songs that are so bad that, like, maybe they they get deleted. You cross your fingers; it doesn't end up on, you know, doesn't get on somebody's hard drive because yeah,
0: wait, wait, we we. we, 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 we
1: Bad songs. <laughs> Listen, bro.
0: We made sure that that's why there there was never a bounce of this song. A bounce of this song doesn't exist.
1: Yeah. Well, I I hope if people are listening to this that uh, that there are some people who ask you in Oak a lot of times to, for a bounce of this thing because well, it would be fantastic entertainment. Don't never get it. You should do a, a playlist of like worst songs ever written. Of like you know that might be.
0: <laughs> that would, I want to hear.
1: The last question he asked was, "What's more important as a producer, fulfilling your own creative wishes or satisfying the
0: mainstream?" You got to pick one. It's fulfilling my own creative wishes yeah. for sure. But but hundred percent, anybody that know me in this business know that about me too, which is why, I like, you know, I'm my name pops up, uh, you know, very sporadically. I think. Um, it's not all the time because I refuse to do some all the time shit. Like if I don't like it, if I'm not with it, I'm not doing it. And I, and I'm definitely at that for the past couple of years, especially i um, gotten to a point in my, in my life and in my career where I just can't force myself to do some shit that I don't feel bro. Like I, and it's not, it, it doesn't come from a place of arrogance. Um, It doesn't come from, you know, a place of me being an asshole or anything like that. It just is what it is. I'm not going to waste your time either. Why would I come in and do something that I'm not going to give on at 50%? It's just, it's not going to work out for anybody.
1: So unusual for a songwriter to recognize that in themselves. I feel like every songwriter in the game is pulled by, you know, sometimes it's fees. Sometimes it's just... You know when when the floor is really high and you can work with certain writer or artists where you know that they'll sell enough that if you mm-hmm. you know you get these cuts but it, it doesn't really necessarily satisfy this music
0: mm-hmm. you know
1: why we got into this exactly you know what I mean I'm, so,
0: I, I feel like we go through enough in this business uh, uh um, enough to uh you know damage our mental health as it is. So at the very least, it's like, I I always have to tap back into why I'm in it. Um, And that's because music, the music that I like and the music that I love makes me happy. And I I have to feel that way about it all the time. Me personally. Yeah. Me personally. Who talked to you
1: about, I I feel like nobody talks about, recently people are talking about mental health, but most people don't. How? Mm -hmm who taught you that to actually have that kind of integrity? Cause I feel like that would have been a good lesson for a lot of people well, we know.
0: A, a, yeah. A very, a very early, um, I was diagnosed with anxiety disorder very early in life. Um, clinically with medicine, you know, I feel like a lot of people use these, uh, um, you know, mental health keywords very loosely these days. um, but as someone who's been on medicine and stuff like that, it's, um, it's no joke. And so I, I absolutely have to prioritize that personally, um, because my health is at stake. I, I mean, all of our health is at stake, honestly. But when it's a doctor telling you, you know, your health is at stake, it's something I, I felt like I needed to take serious. Um, and even then, you know because I, I was I was diagnosed with anxiety disorder and panic disorder as a as a kid, like a teenager. Um, but when I realized that I was doing things uh I got to a point in, in my career right where I was like I, di- I didn't want to go to the sessions no more. I didn't want to fly out here to l a anymore. I just wanted to be in Philly all the time. I wanted to be around my friends and I wanted to be around my family, and it was stopping me from making money. I didn't care. And I had to really sit down one day and analyze that. And it was like, oh, shit, pop, you, you're doing sessions and you're doing things that doesn't make you happy. Um, maybe you should only tap in and, and be selective and do things that make you happy. And being selective doesn't mean a list only because it's a lot of a list shit that I won't do because I'm not into it. And I, maybe it'll make me a million dollars and I'm missing out on that. But that's OK with me. Um, because I have to live with the music that I create. That the music lives. The music doesn't die. And I have to be okay with the music that I that I that I make. There's some songs that my dad did. Sometimes he's like, oh, I hate that song. I wish I did that song. I'm like, that can't be me, man. Like I, I wanna be proud of everything that I do and I want it all to make me happy. And gotta walk into these rooms and be happy. Gotta walk, walk into the rooms with people that I like and people that I appreciate and Um, people whose energy that I that I that makes me comfortable Um, four or five years ago when I really tapped into this you froze again
1: oh sorry I froze I I thought you froze Uh, are we back we're back Yeah? yeah you good are you have you been do you feel like you're maintaining a good place with dealing with your anxiety and now that you've become as selective as you are
0: hiring for your small business if you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn you're looking in the wrong place that's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank
1: you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com
0: slash host. Oh. I heard maintaining.
1: All right, here, let me, uh, give me one sec. I'll, I'm going to try this one thing.
0: do that.
1: back? You there? You there? You there? Check, check, yeah, check. You yeah, there? Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Check, check, check. All right. No. Gone. We lost them. I'm
1: here. I'm here. Now. Sorry. I mean, my internet just is crap. But yeah, I mean, what I was going to ask is you know, when dealing with anxiety is an ongoing process, it's not something that necessarily goes away. It's something that you have to maintain some discipline. Um, do you feel like you're maintaining at this point?
0: Yes. Yes, yeah, I think I'm answering this question correctly.
1: When you cook, do you find that that is a relief from anxiety? Is that something that you know doing stuff not music related, not business related, does that alleviate some of the anxiety? Any any time
0: I get a new, um, a new, a new sickness, a new ailment, or whatever the case, it's like while I'm working a lot. When I'm working crazy hours, when I'm working back to back, no days off. You feel me? And the moment I like take a break from it, it goes away. And it's it just it trips me out sometimes. How mental it could really be, man! Like it's really, it's really, really mental. I have a back injury, right? And some days I'm better than others, and we're on a bad day. It could, it could be bad. And the moment I start cooking or I start doing something not music-related, I don't even feel it no more. It's weird. It's really, really strange. Why do we do this? <laughs> <laughs> but we love music, man. I love music. I I I I love music more than anything. I love to listen to it, you know. I love to listen to it, and, I, and and nothing nothing better than a good song. Um, and I love challenging myself to make those songs as good as the songs that I fell in love with that inspire me to make songs. And that's why that's why I do it. That's why I do it, and um. I just think that my priorities for a long time were not in order and I had to reorder my priorities and say, hey, listen, this is great. This is it's awesome. It pays the bills, but you know, you could do other things to pay your bills too. Um, you don't have to stress yourself out to, you know and say, oh, I gotta work, I gotta work, I gotta work, I gotta make money. It's not that it that's not cool, man. It's not fun. Um, I'm not on anybody's fucking payroll. We don't have bosses and shit like that. It's like we're we really can do this how we want to do it. And there is no right way or wrong way to do it in my opinion. And I I just felt like I really had to again re, re do some do some um reorganize my priorities so that I could still make music and still make a living. Still be happy and still be in the book. and still be happy and still be in the business but also like live a real life and, and be happy and have fun with my kids um and I'm the fun uncle and shit like you know like and I'm a yeah. I'm fun dad and I like to do things bro like I'm not it's not that, this music shit is really not I love I love, I love it and I don't I hate saying this stuff sometimes cause it, it could you know somebody you, you know with, with the amount of success that I've been able to uh Attained at, at, at this point in my life, it could I guess I could come off a little like ungrateful sometimes, and that's totally not the case like I'm super grateful for everything I know that I'm blessed and but I just also recognize that I actually have a real life outside of music
1: No, I don't think that's ungrateful. I think that's what you said it's organizing priorities and I think most musicians and most workaholics are not good at organizing their priorities or they wouldn't <laughs> be workaholics like you know that ability to prioritize is so difficult and the ability to say no to things is excruciating for a songwriter
0: yeah you know is. like
1: it takes a lot to learn to say no actually not making an AR person said this to me early on and it 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 plagues me in so many ways she said to me um She said, you know, I'm so jealous of songwriters because you can create an asset every day. If you want to build a house, all you have to do is write a song and then you have a new asset. And the only reason why that plagues me is because once you think like that, then you're sitting there being like, why am I not writing a song right now? Because in that other room is this potential. And if I, but if I'm outside and I'm just enjoying some nice, a nice beautiful day, like that fills your soul. But then you're, you know, how do you leave an a, a recording studio empty? There's yeah. so much potential in a recording studio, and that's like that's the, the worst part and the hardest part of being a professional musician is leaving that recording studio empty.
0: Yeah, it is, but like. I can't tell you like how much mental anguish I would like be in if I viewed songs as assets. Like mm-hmm. that would stress me out all day, every day. And I and I get that perspective. Um but you know as well as I know every song ain't the song to, at the same time. We might gotta I
1: mean clearly I mean that it, you, that's exactly right. Is to understand that it it also doesn't it doesn't make the songs that you do choose to write better because you crowded your you know you took your best ideas and used them over here you took your you know it doesn't it doesn't always help to just be in sessions all the time no. and doing the double sessions and the triple sessions and doing oh all that stuff seems like a good idea. I think we all start doing that, which is good to get the 10,000 hours in. But at some point, you know, being a human helps.
0: Being a human helps.
1: You know, just to go back a little bit, to because I want to go through some of the discography. You know, when you really, the Genuine album, that's really the first time where it jumps up to... You know, to like, I have cuts to like, so, you know, a different level. And I feel like that's when people recognize, you know, Pop and Oak as like a, almost like this writing team of sorts. Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. um, did you recognize the success while you were having having it, or were you already working on the next song? What was it like for you to jump into that moment of success?
0: I mean, the first the first couple of releases were exciting. I they were like I didn't under they were all over the place. It was like genuine, but then it's like Ashley Tisdale. It was like it was weird. Yeah. I was just kind of piggybacking off whatever Oak Oak's sessions were, whatever Oak's sessions were. Oak was bringing me in, you know, as his you know young uh, protege, and and whatever it was, I would just I just was up for the challenge. Um, I didn't really care. I was just happy to be traveling. Like, we traveled the country making those songs. Like, we went to Miami and I think we did genuine in St. Louis. I was like in LA living with Oak. We were going to Philly and working. And it was just, it was just fun for me at that time. Um, I didn't understand the success, um, of those songs because I didn't really feel like, success was happening because it was like, you know, like it, it it was what it was. We weren't making a ton of money or nothing like that. I, I always measured success with money. You know, I always did that. So I was like, oh, if I don't have a million dollars. then I must not be successful in these songs or shit. They're not successful. But I was having fun. You know, I was definitely having fun. Um, I didn't realize the amount of success that we were uh, getting until... Um, nikki started to blossom
1: yeah you have to tell that story about how nikki how you became no how nikki met you it's it's kind of amazing so i feel like you have to tell that
0: story yeah man it's it was my space it was my space I I was I had a message that I copied and paste to like all these rappers because I was trying to get rappers to buy my beats and she was one of those rappers. I don't know if you remember on well, MySpace you could like you there was like a little music uh, box where you like were you could upload your own music and I and I and I had like four of my beats up there and I sent her a message and she messaged me back and was like yo you're crazy and I was like yo you're crazy and, like, yo, you're crazy. and then. Uh, she had just done a, a, a DVD called the Come Up DVD, which was like a street level uh, DVD of like people rapping and like underground rap artists. And they were always get like a mainstream artist to host it. And Nikki's segment of the Come Up DVD just so happened to be on the, 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 the edition of the DVD that Lil Wayne was hosting. Um, and the way they did it was after Lil Wayne's segment of the DVD, Nikki came up right after and that's how Wayne saw her. And, and, and you know, she like, we, I met her on MySpace and she was telling me what was happening and it was exciting. And we just started going back and forth on music uh, over the years. And, you know, Mixtape 1, Mixtape 2, by our third Mixtape, um, she was still on Sign, but like larger than life, it seemed. And I was a part of that. Uh, and... I now had, it was weird because it was like, this is during the genuine days and during the Ashley Tisdale stuff, Nicki Minaj is blowing up, you know, and I'm a part of this too. And this is really getting me the buzz. Like I'm getting buzzed because I'm working with Oak, who has a buzz of his own in the business and then on the street level. And um, and also, you know, on the industry side too, I'm getting buzz because I'm, I'm like, I'm Nicki's guy, you know and bro before I, when the Young Money album came out and that rock it really well and I didn't produce that song but we had songs on the Young Money album and from there it was like that was the shift that was the shift and then obviously your love when they released your love that changed my life that's when I felt like holy shit this is successful well
1: and to see I don't think if people don't know the the mixtape history of Nicki Minaj, yeah, yeah. that's the she's probably the most hyped artist before she got signed in. I feel like in the last twenty years, I yeah, mean, yeah. everybody had a copy of that. Yeah, you know, certainly the last mixtape. Yeah, and it was just like it. I mean, everybody had it. Yeah. it was so that thing is a, that thing was a smash long yeah. before she had that yeah. deal. Yeah, so I mean. You know, most people aren't watching an artist go from no. that to no. like pop stardom.
0: Well, for people who don't know and that are, are listening, that that last Nicki Minaj mixtape is is legendary. It's it's iconic. Um, it it broke the website that you know that dot com. The website all the mixtapes were released to, and like crashed the website. And um, those songs from that mixtape were were getting, you know. Regular uh, radio airplay. Um, and it, it really was like, it was something like we had never seen anything like that. A couple of the guy, like Wiz was also really big on the mixtape, uh, circuit. And, but Nikki's, Nikki's had songs from her mixtape, you know, like on the radio countdowns, like, Top nine at nine and shit like that, and it would be a mixtape song for Nicki Minaj on that on that countdown. It was crazy to watch this happen. Um,
1: it really was. It was really similar to when uh, when people started hearing the Eminem mixtape stuff. You know, it's yeah, like where it yeah. just it goes through the industry yeah. or it goes through just like normal life, mm-hmm. and it and it's you just know what the outcome is yeah. going to be, and the fact that you got to. Ride that wave yeah. from the beginning. I rode Just- the wave, and
0: it was so crazy because it was like, "Yo, why wow, Universal?" I I did a publishing deal. Um, I did it. I did my publishing deal with Universal. Jessica Rivera was also iconic. Signed me, in, um I think like six months after I did my publishing deal, me and Nick had a number one song, number one rap song. It was number one for nine weeks, and a female hadn't had a number one song. Prior to that, for nine years, um, Nuts. and that was really when I saw the shift. That was really when I saw like, oh, you. This is this is what it. Okay, that's when I understood what I was getting myself into. It was bittersweet because in my mind, I'm still going to culinary school. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> in, my, in my mind, I'm like, I'm still gonna go to culinary school. But I, that was something that. I couldn't walk away from it in that in that time. If it happened today, like if I was just starting the day with this mindset, and you know, at, at 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 the age that I'm at now, at at 32, I could get a number one record and walk away. I couldn't do it at 20. It's like holy shit, you know, twenty, twenty one.
1: Well, I mean, and they, you know, it's when doors are open, you walk through them. You walk through them, and especially especially at that age like what are you going to do uh-huh. those are opportunities and and especially that if access is everything for yeah. people yeah.
0: yeah
1: and yeah and then access to who's you know somebody who's everyone knew is like the the you know the biggest like this is before you know uh roman reloaded and all right, the other right, right, right. People, you know this is before Starships. This is like watching. You're just watching this person blow up and seeing this thing happen. I'm. I. I. You can't walk away from that.
0: Nah, bro. Let me tell you something. The door opened and I walked through that bitch with holding my nuts. Like (laughs) you (laughs) (laughs) feel me? Like I walked through the door, man. It was. I had to. I had to. I had to. I had to. You know, you
1: start. This is it. Clearly, you start working nonstop because at that point. Yeah. You have so many releases mm. with so many big artists, and you know again with some at that point really new artists like Al varner and you know, but you know it's just this long list busta with Lil Wayne, I mean, like your i they had to be your icons at this time, you know, Kanye mm. stuff like this is just crazy I mean when were you starting to feel like? You know that you were you starting to feel the pressure that the music you were creating had to be at a certain level, or are you just trying to get that session.
0: Nah, I I, I definitely put pressure on myself because I had um, very very quickly in my in my career within a year or two, um, I had acquired this reputation for uh, quality. Like Pop is going to give us quality. Pop and Oak are going to give us quality. Um, and mm-hmm. that was very important to me and I spent a lot of time sometimes trying to make something super quality and I found myself in a place after a couple of years where not everybody understood what I wanted to do or where I was going musically, um, because I understand music, um, not like the, the average rap or hip hop producer. Um who knows just how to make cool shit and i I understand music and I understand transitions and um I found like you know it was it was tough sometimes it was tough sometimes holding myself to the standard that honestly other people set for me um but I just felt like I had to live up to it even now like i I still feel like I have to live up to that standard of quality that i've um been known to provide over the years.
1: How did your dad feel watching you succeed at this level? Was it a a good moment between the two of you guys or was it a weird moment? I mean, what is it like when your parents are in the same industry?
0: My dad was elated. My dad is, first of all, my dad is so embarrassing. bro. (laughs) My dad, (laughs) it was embarrassing. He's so embarrassing because he just talks about it all he talks about me all the time like you know, all the time you could ask him how the weather is and he'll it's he'll make the weather about me which i just i couldn't ask for any better love than that you know but um it was amazing for him prior was when it was rough when i when i when i when i when I dropped out of high school and shit like He wasn't feeling that. He wasn't feeling that at all Um, because he had done the same thing. He dropped out of high school to, you know, got into the service. Went to the service. Um, and I don't know. He just and then again, you know, I was I dropped out of high school. I was in the streets and stuff like that. I just didn't don't think he saw me heading down the right path. He knew I was making music, um, but he also knows that it's not right, huh?
1: Was he right? I mean, if you know um do you, if, I, if you were
0: in his I position he had every, think- I think he had every right to be concerned, you know, because of the environment that I was in uh, and, and you know and on true avenue in Philadelphia, and running around with all of these with all of these dudes from True Avenue and having them in the basement just banging out all of these songs. Um, it was practice for me we were we were each other's practice and those guys are to this day some of my best friends uh, Robbie and Sanity and I love those guys they're my brothers but we like we made each other better they made me better as a producer but we was all a bunch of little knuckleheads skipping school and staying out all hours of the night and drinking and, and smoking or whatever the case may be but I saw it for myself I'm like yo we're down here we're working we grinding and plus this is making me better to make better beats that I could sell to, to get money for culinary school. Well, you know, um, but I just also think my dad knows that it's to be, to be where we are people like yourself and me it's like, it's like a one, it's like one in a million bro. It's, it's not promised. It's not, it's not a thing. It's not like, it's not guaranteed. It's for sure not guaranteed. Right. So, um, I just think he didn't want me to be let down, yeah he didn't want to, he didn't want me to be let down and he didn't want it to be um anything uh yeah he just he didn't want me going down the wrong path, so during that time was wasn't the best for him. he was worried for me and but when he saw that things were manifesting. And that I was actually working towards something that it wasn't just a pipe dreamer. He was, he was excited.
1: How did you get the nickname Pop?
0: How did I get like the nickname Pop? I think that, I feel like there's like 18 stories for that, bro. So, <laughs> um, you know, people, I mean, basically people just was calling me Papa for a long time. Papa, and, uh, I'm 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 like uh, I'm of Afro Latino descent, so Poppy is very was a was a was a, was, a uh, was also another prominent nickname, and everybody's Poppy in Philadelphia. And then it turned from Papa to Papa uh, Justify, which was my name for a long time pop and justify and then it just turning to pop oh.
1: I mean I love it cuz it's like there there are a few classic people in the history of music like from like the 1920s you know there've been yeah. like a couple pops that have yeah. been really successful but there hasn't you know yeah. it's nice that you're a one named guy that everybody knows who it is like yeah. Cool. Um. You know, real quick, I wanted. You know, you have obviously this long list of famous people, but there's one. It's different when you. You know, again, start breaking an artist. Like we've said in this podcast before, the two probably most important things to the music industry is when you break an artist or when you reinvigorate. You know, an artist whose career started as it was on the down. But you know, the Alicia Cara stuff is it gets so massive mm. and was really you know that that must have felt out of nowhere
0: oh my god it,
1: because i mean how does it came out of nowhere to everybody else so my assumption is even for you guys it's like yeah let's do some of these sessions but it's different when you have these two like you know you have a, a few songs on the album but a couple of them are just huge mm here Mm -hmm. in scars to your beautiful Mm -hmm. and when you listen to here you're like oh that's where you know that eventually becomes sort of what Billie eilish does now you know Mm -hmm. it's like here was really ahead of its Mm
0: -hmm.
1: of its time it was just a massive song Mm -hmm. how did it you know that had been a a few years after nikki but i kind of feel like this might be the biggest success after nikki
0: yeah um after nikki you know, cool little like top tens and like ur- in the urban world, like top tens and number ones yeah. and BMI my urban producer of the year twice in a row. And you know, I yeah, <laughs> you know, no, <laughs> <laughs> had a lot of those moments. Yeah. And, but Alessia, I'm telling you, bro, this is really when I was like, I'd want to do like cool shit. And me and Oak have a thing about new artists because our career was built on new artists. You know, At the time, they were new. And um, we were supposed to go work with somebody else that We, we were supposed to go do a camp for, for huge artists. And then Dev Jam came, Tad showed us a video, a YouTube video that had 300 views, of this girl playing the guitar and singing, and I just, I looked at Oak, I was like, bro, I want to do this instead, like, let's do this, this is fun, this is cool, let's do it, she looks cool. And she's like, she's she's untouched right now, like, you know, like, let's do this, and Oak was still in the same way. And we went in and we did, the first song we did was Scars to Your Beautiful. First song we did hmm. was Scars to Your Beautiful. They had, Alessia had it, like, Alessia and Sebastian had it. like The song was like, I don't know, like 75% written. It was, was, they had a song and me and Oak just came in and produced it and like, did our thing to it. And it was, that was the first thing we did. And I was like, this is fun. Like, this is fun. This is fun. Stars was the first song we did that week. And then we did another week with her. And at the end of our second week with her, here was the last song we did. Hmm. We started with scars. We ended with here. And when I did, what we did here, I I knew for me, like I was like, this is the coolest shit that I've heard in a long time. I don't. It's probably not gonna mount to shit because it's so so unorthodox. It was it was wordy. It was hard. It was like this sample was loud. We loved it, but it was like whatever, you know. And you know, like a moth. Muff- Use the word
1: muffish, man. She uses the word standoffish. And I was like, when I it, I was just like I could I was so excited when I heard that. Cause it's like wow. you always look for multi-syllabic words that no one else is using. And yeah. that was just
0: ah Yeah, man. I want I want to use that. You gotta use standoffish in your
1: next song. Brilliant. That's um that's that's crazy. I going into seeing the success in in pop and hip hop. There's obviously a financial difference between a, a number one song in pop mm-hmm. versus hip hop. Yeah. Um, do you, in your personal life, see the difference in you know the success in genres, and or does it not really? You know, do you get personally, do you feel different about a song that's number one at pop versus a song that's number one at hip hop?
0: Um. I I don't know if I feel differently because I put the same amount of effort into any of it that I do, right? But sometimes I it's a little it's sad. It's kinda it's disheartening a little bit because it's like I live for rap. You know what I'm saying? I live for hip hop, I live for for hip hop and I live for soul and I live for R and B and all of that. And it's it's just kind of sad to see the difference. And it it's sad to see the difference. It's like your number 30 pop song can amount to what your number one rap song. can. You know what I'm saying? Like it's on a financial yeah, side. Yeah, at least
1: the radio. I mean, when it's streaming, it's the exact opposite.
0: When it's streaming, it's right the now. exact opposite. At this point in, in music. At this point in music. Yeah. It's, it's, things have changed. Things have definitely changed. Um,
1: Have you? Were you ever? Because of you starting off your career in hip hop, do you? But obviously, being able to do all kinds of genres, did you ever feel pigeonholed? You know, do people say, "Oh, pop, you got to do this project because it's this"? mm -hmm. Versus, like, I don't think this is right for pop because he Mm -hmm. does that kind of music. You know, did you ever feel any sort of, you know, pigeonholing? I'm I'm sure they had those
0: conversations behind closed doors. I know some of those conversations have gotten back to me where people have been like, "Oh, well, you know, this A and R said they weren't really feeling you for this project that we shouldn't bring you in, whatever." It's like everyone's entitled to their opinion. It's funny because Oak loves pop music. Oak has a natural, just he can just do it and he does it so good, right? I come from rap. Me and Oak got together and became like R <laughs> and B gods. I don't, I, mean, I you know, I, I'm glad that that happened, but I think Oak saw me the ropes and pop music. Um, helped a lot. Um, I don't think that anyone can can pigeonhole me at this point. I think I've proven that I could kind of do anything. 100. While still doing me, um, I think I showed that with Alessia, and I showed that with you know I was really 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 um humbled and, and blessed to be a part of Ariana. Thank you, next album. I think I showed that on that album. You know what I what I can bring to pop music while still being pop and still having my hip hop background. <laughs> um, and if and if. I think with that and, you know, several other things that I've done, you know, on the on the pop end, I don't I don't think I don't think I don't feel pigeonholed. I don't I, I don't to answer your question. I think people are capable of doing whatever.
1: Yeah, no doubt. One of the biggest compliments that you can have as a songwriter is when artists come back to you. Mm-hmm. And you have like you have relationships with artists where they've come back to you. Mm-hmm projects later and obviously Alessia is one of them and and another one is Kailani who you've really been with kind of since the beginning uh-huh. and she's just like she's just you can tell that she's one of those people that's right around the corner from crossing over to like the whole mainstream success uh-huh. but in the business she she's already there uh-huh. Uh-huh. Get in. I just want to make sure she has some moment because you have like a re- clearly a, a, a connection with her so mm-hmm. you know tell me about your relationship with her
0: you know what she's outside of this music shit bro that's like that's like you know that's like my best friend she's one of my best friends and um, you know I think that makes it I think that makes it impossible for us to not have the music relationship that we have. I know sometimes there are people in this business who are really, really, really good friends but don't make music together at all. Um, but with us, we're just so on the same page about music. Um, my favorite songs are her favorite songs. Um, and I think that's why we could come together and make so much music because uh, we just, we we identify musically. Like it's kinda is it's almost it's, it's scary in a way. Um and we just you know, we we we're on the same page as humans. We're on the same page as humans and uh it's just it's so easy. It's really easy when we create. Like we're creating right now. Um, I like it. We're we're creating right now and You'll hear it soon How's,
1: How's it going?
0: Is it good? It's incredible It's incredible And I I really feel like She deserves her flowers And um, she deserves that cross She deserves to be recognized On a mainstream level Because she's incredible She's an incredible artist She's an incredible performer She's an incredible vocalist She's an incredible writer And um, we're making We're making some incredible music Right now I love that. Um,
1: we're gonna go to the next segment, which I'm gonna list five people and just tell me what comes off the top of your head when you hear these names. Let's start with number one: yeah. Nicki Minaj.
0: like, all right, wait. So I, I say one word, or what do I do? Like,
1: oh, okay, whatever. There are no rules. I won't. I won't get mad. It. it it's gone from one word to. Dissertations, so whatever you want, okay.
0: Nicki Minaj. The first thing that comes to my mind when I think of Nicki Minaj is her song that I have nothing to do with, Truffle Butter. <laughs> and I don't know, it's I think it's my favorite Nicki Minaj song, and I think it's just like it's such a moment for me. And it was like that her verse on there was just like the perfect Nicki Minaj verse, it wasn't too much, it wasn't too little. It was just the right amount of punchlines. It was the right amount of real shit. It was the right amount of rap. It was the right amount of flow change. And the beat was perfect. Drake was on it. Lil Wayne was on it. I loved that era hers, that pink print era. I felt like that's when she was really rapping. Like To me, that was like all oh, my favorite Nicki Minaj raps was during that time, during that era, that pink print era and that, that song. When I think of Nicki Minaj, I think of, I think of truffle butter. And I think of her voice on that song. And it makes me happy. It makes me smile. It makes me miss her, love her to death. That's my sister.
1: Let's do Philadelphia.
0: Oh, man. First thing that comes to my mind when I think of Philadelphia is uh, Old City. When you say Philadelphia, I think of a neighborhood in Philadelphia called Old City, which is where I lived right before I moved to Los Angeles two years ago, um, and it is the most historical part of Philadelphia as well. All of the you know, Liberty Bell, and Benjamin Franklin's house and all of those cool things is in these uh, historic colonial houses and narrow streets and cobblestones and trees with leaves that change colors and apple cider donuts and horse and buggies <laughs> and Amish people and farmer's markets and um it makes me happy that probably makes me happier than anything um that's the first thing that comes to my mind when i think of philadelphia because i miss it so much right now And i haven't been able to get back because of the pandemic but um that's the first thing that comes to my mind all uh, right let's do oak oak first thing that comes to my mind is um Devil's Advocate. Oak is the king of... Like, it's so crazy. I was with Oak last night. Just getting advice about several different things. And um, I'm looking for advice from this motherfucker. But then he'll give me the Devil's Advocate size too. Then he just confuses me all the time. You know what I'm saying? So that is... Uh, but I love that Oak wants to always... Uh, teach me. Oak has always been like, it's like Professor Oak to me. Like that's, that's how I address him in my head, you know, um, give me uh, as many different perspectives uh, uh, about one thing as, as he can, as many as he can come up with to help me um, analyze all of them, you know, do the process of elimination and choose what I feel like is best for me. He d- he doesn't just give me his own personal selfish. Uh, opinion about about anything, even when that's what I want from him, he give me uh, three sides, all three sides to the story. Um, and that's the first. Yeah, thing he's I, so I, smart. Yeah, that
1: guy's real smart. He's incredible. Um, let's do this is a a two parter because I'm adding a sixth thing on here, but let's do this one. We'll do. Your mom, uh, and then we'll do dad.
0: Yeah. First, thing I think about I think about my mom is um, <laughs> my mom is always worried. Mom's always worried about me. She calls me all the time and be like, "Are you okay?" The fires. I'm like, "Mom, the fires are like not. They're in Northern California. I'm okay." <laughs> But she's just always I'm her baby, literally, you know, her last her last born. Um but um she's just so she's just so protective of of me and my siblings, all of them. We're all grown as hell, bro. But she um so I think of my mom, I think of protection, I think of uh, you know, safety. I, I anytime I as soon as I step up my mom's house, I feel safe. You know, I feel safe in it and and the heat is on and there's bound to be like a brownie, a pan of brownies on the stove or some shit like a oatmeal cookie. You know what I'm saying? Like I just feel safe and I grab my cookie and I go sit on my couch and she feels safe knowing that I'm at her house. Um that's literally what come to my mind when I think of my mom. <laughs> Let's
1: go with your dad.
0: And my dad, what comes to my mind is ice cream. <laughs> Why, um, bro? Every right time I see him, he just he got ice cream in his hand. My dad loves ice cream. And <laughs> like literally, they live in a part of Pennsylvania, and it's just ice cream. Like local ice cream brand called Nelson's, and it's like the best ice cream in the world. And their their freezer looks like a damn like. Uh, a shelf like at the nelson store it's just nelson it's just ice cream everywhere. I think of my dad I, I in ice cream my dad is hardly ever in a bad mood since I was little. Like he is the most glass half full person that I know. You know, it is it's it's always that with him. He's always positive He's always in good spirits, um, even when he's, you know, not at his best, you know, health-wise or um, having a bad day, whatever the case may be. He's always just so positive, and he knows how to bring positivity to and, and, like, to any situation. So I just think of ice cream because I know ice cream makes him even happier. And he'd be having his ice cream, and he'd just be in the best mood ever, man. He'd be having his ice cream.
1: hard be- to it's hard to be mad with ice cream in your hand. Like, it would be really hard to get in a fight or something while you're Why also you ice, cream? ice cream. Yeah, it's
0: like, you don't you need even... To do it. It's not that
1: Our last thing I'm say on the, the, the sixth thing is uh,
0: cooking. Cooking. When I hear... What do I... Uh, Hold... Cooking makes me think of home, um, being in Philadelphia, cause that's my that's my roots. Cooking, cooking makes me think of so many different things, bro. It makes me think of Benny, you know. Um, it makes me think of Oak, who I cook for all the time. It makes me think of my best friends. Uh, Matt and Danny, who are also producers, called their duo called Some Randoms. Makes you think of them because I, I cook for them all the time. It makes me think of my kids who I cook every Sunday. I invite a lot of people over on Sunday because there's so many people out here in LA who are uh, don't have family out here like me, like you know, aren't from here or whatever. And um, we all live off of the same shit, you know, lemonade and Bossa Nova and. <laughs> and <laughs> creation and you know every Sunday I take it upon myself to cook for uh, this group of people who are a lot of creatives, uh, songwriters and producers um, and come over to my house and eat on Sundays and it's a thing And um, I think of that, cooking, cooking I just think of like cooking is my end all be all I think yeah. of retirement when I think of cooking mm.
1: Well um thank you for doing this. I feel like I could talk to you for hours cuz I really want to get into so many of these things and you know how you produce all those things yeah. but and we'll definitely have to revisit this at some point but you know I, it it's so fun to actually get a chance to, to talk cuz I feel like every time we've we've come across each other it's it's sort of in passing at some sort of event or something like that. We and, had a good. We
0: um, had a really we, good conversation one time at Benny's at Benny's house. One of one of one yeah. of Benny's
1: houses. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you well, know, it's, it's it's just that thing. If you look at your discography, we have we've been on the same album probably four or five times where we've had songs on the same album.
0: Wow. You know, it's That's not like
1: really, you don't necessarily get to know everybody That's who's true. working on the album just not how it works like you're you're in your studio i'm in my studio and then all of a sudden the song gets cut by the artist and then you end up with you you know you're on a compilation of the 10 songs Mm. and you know one one song over you're right there and i'll be over on this song Mm. or whatever it is is
0: crazy it's high school
1: and it is and but it's really cool that you know it's just nice to catch up and you know you're you're just such a a, a unique person in this business because you've been able to really do all of it and not everybody gets to do all of it but you do because you, you like you said from the beginning you have quality control and I admire that man I, I have a lot to learn from people like you so
0: I appreciate that um, I, I, I think I think it's important the, the, the quality control and if I can just for anybody who You know, I have to thank for that is also my my managers, Andrew Luffman and who 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 encouraged that and instilled that in me and, and really, really helped me get to that point in my life. I think it's important and it has helped me tremendously, not just in my career, but in my real life personally and mentally. So, yeah, man.
1: Well, shout out to them. They also had a big impact on my life. Uh, Love to them. Love to Benny. Love to Oak. Love to all the people around Mm, you. Because you obviously surround yourself with the best, man. I like to think so. Thank you so much. Thank you. All right, we're done. There you go. I appreciate y'all for having me, man. All right, dude. Let's let's catch up soon. Please, but good luck please. on the stuff. <laughs> All right, bro. If you ever have a Mac or any of that leftover food, I might just swing by and grab a little plate. You should.
0: I live in Hancock Park.
1: Where do you learn? I mean I'm serious. I'm in Studio City.
0: Oh, well whatever. Yeah man. Whenever close. you need to come to, you need to come to a pop you know me and Benny do pop ups
1: i would love to yeah. i always know about them after everyone is posed like feels like they post them i'm trying not to go on social media as much but if you have like you, a list of shit i will absolutely do that
0: i will personally keep you posted about the next one we're doing um for thanksgiving and i think we're we're doing it with john and benny's
1: oh my god yeah please, yeah. please please please, yeah, yeah, please, please. Yeah, 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 yeah. it's gonna be crazy all right, man. I'll see you then in uh, in a few weeks. For All that. right, man.
0: Thank you so much for having me. Great talking to you.
1: Thanks for listening to this episode of And The Writer Is. If you want to hear music from this songwriter I just interviewed, be sure to check out our Spotify playlist or visit our website at com. If you like what we're doing, please subscribe to us You can also like us on Facebook and Twitter. And The Writer Is is produced by Joe London, edited by Miles Bergsma, and published by Big Deal Music. A special thanks to David Silverstein from Mega House Music and Michael White. Until next time, this is Ross Golan.